Good morning, everyone. Make sure I'm lined up with the camera.
Alrighty, I'm back. Uh, good, uh, good morning to all of you again. And uh, if you could turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. We're going to wrap up our study today of uh, the doctrine past the teacher by noting uh, the prohibition that's found in 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 14, uh, prohibition uh, against women pastors. Uh, it prohibits women from being pastors. And so we're going to uh, be looking at that controversial subject today. I could, I could actually go probably for a couple of weeks uh, doing uh, two, two or three weeks, maybe a month on this passage. I've already done that though. I've, uh, so if, uh, today is just kind of looking at the, the, the passage and, 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 uh, and uh, noting the major points. But I did this, in, I, when I ex- did the exegesis and exposition of this book, when I was in Marion, Iowa, we did the whole book of First Timothy, and we did this section quite, ext- uh, took a long time doing it because it was very important. And so it's also in our written library under First Timothy. And so, uh, and also when this pa- doctor, pastor, teacher, the, I've, updated, I've updated it, it'd be called the 223, 2023 edition. It'll have that section in First Timothy that I did my exegesis and exposition of, when I did First Timothy, this section on First Timothy two eleven through fourteen, that exegesis will be put into the past to teacher doctrine that I'll doctrine uh, that I'll be putting up on updated version in two thousand twenty three edition uh, after I finish this series on today uh, with the doctrine of past the teacher. So, uh, so it's uh, then after after today, uh, then starting Tuesday, we'll be getting a beginning a new book Ephesians. Um, I uh, usually I, I go alternate between Old Testament and New Testament, but um, this time I, I'm going to stay in the New Testament because there's a book I wanted to do in, in Marion, Iowa, but I didn't. Um, I remember when I did I did Ephesians at Prairie View in my first church plant and also First John, but I I mean, I didn't like the way I did it and I wasn't, uh, I, you know, it kind of was like in summary fashion. It was really not the way I like to do it. Uh, so I was still finding my way a little bit there. And then so... I did when I got to Marion, Iowa. I did First John. It took me a little over three years, I think, or almost three years, to do that. And I did it the way I wanted to do it. And then now I want to do a I wanted to do Ephesians out there, but I, I did some other smaller books before. So we'll do Ephesians now. And, and while here, I'm, in, I'm in, just moved here to Huntsville, so we'll uh, be doing the Book of Ephesians. I'm really enjoying studying it. I know I've I've been uh, I love this. Uh, it's it's going to be a great study. I think uh, it's a great book. And uh, it's it's kind of almost in the category of Romans as far as I'm concerned uh, with the doctrine there. But uh, it's um, and actually mentions some things that Romans never does. But uh, so we'll be uh, beginning that book on Tuesday. So today we're going to wrap up our study of the doctor past the teacher. I hope you're enjoying this series. Um, and uh, so uh, today we'll end it with a controversial subject. Um you know this uh, this subject is uh, for though I think I've mentioned this in past in the, in the when I at my first church plant when I when we had a, ch- a church split in 2010 which resulted in me leaving uh, and starting another church in Mary and I uh, I remember one of the, they never said this to my face uh, I know who, I know who it was uh, someone told me um, but they said that my teaching was demeaning to women <laughs> and this is one of the things that they would. I said, well, what was that? Oh, because, you know, women are to be subordinate, to, Christian women to be subordinate to their husbands and there can't be any women pastors. And so I was, I was criticized for that, which I rejoiced over because, you know, you know, because it was, I was teaching what the word of God says. So they, they criticized me for that, you know, um, so be it. And that's uh, long, long as it's, so, it's for something I'm doing right <laughs> rather than something wrong. So we're going to wrap up this study and uh, and today by noting the prohibition against women pastors in First Timothy chapter two verses uh, eleven through fourteen. So without further ado, in fact, by the way, I just want to make a little comment. I, um, I think today I got the lighting. If you look at the, the video, I think I got the lighting the way it looks best. Uh, I have a, a light overhead me like, that I can't really use because my it'll shine off my bald head and you might get distracted. And uh, but. Uh, but the lighting in the room is kind of so I have it's it's I'm trying to find the right lighting for the room and the right lights and I finally and I think I get the right light in the room I have the natural light I have the blinds closed in the my office I'm, I'm broadcasting in my office here in Marion uh, Huntsville Iowa Huntsville Iowa Huntsville Alabama <laughs> get the the Marion Iowa in my mind uh, so I get the blinds in the room which are new blinds by the way and 
and uh, but uh, I just uh, did, couldn't get the right lighting, uh, and uh, so I, the blinds are closed, and um, but I got another light, uh, artificial light here that uh, not the, the light from the sun, but to my left, so that is looking pretty good when I'm looking at the video. So, anyways, so I uh, just try to make it look as good as possible because I look some of the. You know, last couple of weeks, you know, it looks like I'm in, uh, in, you know, teaching in darkness, you know. So the room is actually kind of dark. I just, I just didn't have, you know, a lot of times it's been dark here, rainy and everything. So I'm just trying to find the right lighting, you know, artificial lighting or the right lamps here that that would work. And uh, because I can't really have the blinds open because it just be, especially on a bright, brilliantly sunny day, it would be, I think, overwhelming. So We'll see. All right, so let's take a moment of silent prayer. Enough of that. Let's take a moment of silent prayer. This is our custom. We take a moment of silent prayer to examine ourselves to determine if we're in fellowship with God because any mental, verbal, or overt act of sin that we knowingly commit will cause us to lose fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But according to 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to the Father, He, God the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, He purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. We maintain that fellowship by obeying the Spirit who speaks to us through the Scriptures which He's inspired and that's when we're obeying the commands of Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with Spirit and Colossians 3.16 to let the Word of Christ richly dwell in our souls. So if there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing or distracting to you, do what 1 Peter 5.7 says, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for you. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We thank you for another day to learn about your plan for our lives to become like your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for those who might be joining me live through the uh, video, uh, the streaming video provided by uh, YouTube. Thank you for their service. I thank you, for, and also for those who might be watching these classes or listening to them uh, through the recordings in our various website, podcasts, and media platforms that you've given to us. I thank you for these, this technology, and I pray you use, use it mightily and protect it from the enemy. I just pray, Father, that today that uh, you'll help me to present this subject here with uh, accuracy and clarity, reverence, respect, and power with regards to the prohibition against women pastors here in 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 14. By the power of Spirit, help me to communicate it with accuracy and clarity, reverence, respect, and power so that your people can be uh, educated to your ways and your system and how you want things done. And I pray, Father, that people in the audience that your children by the power of the spirit help them to be humble and objective and sensitive to the spirit's guidance and direction as we present this particular subject today and i pray father that your people would as a result receive their necessary spiritual nourishment i pray there be no problems with the recordings the video and the audio and upload these things to our various websites podcasts and media platforms that you've given to us so we thank you for another day of, of this uh, of the word of god and we father i just pray that this series on the past to teach you would be a great blessing to the body of christ now and in the future through the recordings. In Jesus' name we pray, your Son, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Amen. If you haven't turned there already, please go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. As I said before, we're going to wrap up our study of the doctrine of past the teacher by noting the prohibition against women pastors uh, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Very controversial in our day and age because of uh, here in America in the 21st century you know, with the women's lib movement of the 60s and, uh, and feminism is very, very powerful today in our country and, uh, and also in Western Europe. Um, other parts of the world, not really as much, but uh, it's there. But uh, feminism has crept into the church, uh, you know, uh, where the Bible, the church in America has definitely been affected by uh, the cosmic system of Satan, and what I mean by that, the standards of the world. And we're not just talking about immorality, we're just talking about standards. You know, we all want, uh, you know, women to be treated fairly. I think that's pretty clear. I mean, you look at the Bible, uh, you know, Jesus, the Christianity has been criticized for their treatment of women. That's ridiculous because the first, the first uh, witnesses to Jesus' resurrection were women. 
and, and women were a very big part of Jesus' ministry. They weren't selected as apostles, but they were uh, wealthy women had uh, funded his ministry uh, during his first advent. And uh, there was a lot of great women like Mary Magdalene. Uh, his, J Jesus' mother was a fantastic believer. But uh, we see that, uh, that God has a, a certain way of doing things. You know, he, he, he created the woman to be um, the helpmate for the man. And he was created first, then she. And uh, so that's significant, as we'll see today. And so when God says that in, in marriage, for instance, that the woman is to be subordinate to a husband, that doesn't mean that she's less of a person. You got to remember, again, uh, when that it is given in Scripture, with husbands, uh, wives are supposed to obey their husbands in all things as under the Lord. The, the woman is created in the image of God, just like the man. And also the woman, let's talk about believers, a woman in the church age who believes in Jesus Christ as, as her Savior is a royal priest and dwelt by the Trinity, identified with Christ in his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session of the right hand of the Father, uh, is, is a son of God, just like a man who trusts in Jesus Christ during the church age. So it's called, both, God has designed marriage to function a certain way, where this is how he wants it done. Just because you're the woman and you're to be supported to your husband doesn't mean you're less uh, important than he is, and uh, and not as a you know, uh, and not a child of God. You are a child of God. But when we talk about uh, in, the, in the same holds true with the uh, when when women are told to be subordinate to men in the Christian community, with regards to the function of the past to teach when men are women are not to be exercising authority by teaching. While men are present, they can teach other women, as we'll say, and have seen in the past, but they can't teach while men are present because uh, she was designed to be a helpmate to the man and subordinate to the man. And so that is, so, so for instance, in the Trinity, the, the, the Son and the Holy Spirit are said to be subordinate to the Father. Does that mean the Holy Spirit and, and Jesus are the Son of God? is less than God the Father. Doesn't he not? They all have the same attributes as each other. So, but so they, but in, with far as functionality, in the Trinity, the Son subordinates himself to the Father and the Spirit does to the Father and the Son. But they all are God and they're not any less than each other. It's just a way, it's designed, the way they function with each other. And so God has designed marriage to function a certain way. And that's the, and God, it created marriage. He created the man and woman. He knows how he wants it done. And, but you know, the devil's world creeps in and the devil's always trying to undermine God and to contradict what his word says and go against his authority. He rebelled against God in eternity past. And he's still rebelling against them today. And the world, the devil's world, the world we live in is the devil's world for a reason because it reflects the devil's standards and his antagonism and rebellion against God. And it all starts with the rejection of authority, whether it's authority of the, uh, disrespecting the authority of the civil governmental leaders uh, that are given by God to the human race uh, or the, the authority of the husband and uh, uh, the, the woman rejecting the authority of her husband or the children rejecting the authority of their parents or the congregation rejecting the authority of the pastor uh, that's all the the devil's behind that, and that's that's what we one of the biggest terrible things that happened in the 1960s in America was this rejection of authority, which really started off with the assassinations and the, the Vietnam War and Watergate, all that stuff, and the country has never recovered from that, and so it's infected the church. There's lack of respect for authority, and not having authority orientation, and so when we look at this passage in First Timothy two eleven through four. 14 we have biases here in america especially with with the women ladies where they they come from a background where not a christian background they come into the church and they hear this stuff in the bible and they're just stunned but again uh the devil has deceived women and many men now into thinking that because you're subordinate uh that means that you're less than a human being and or you're a slave that is not would it, that's not the way God designed uh, the woman to be subordinate to the man or the citizens to, subordinate to the, the civil governmental leaders or the congregation subordinate to uh, the, uh, the pastor or the soldiers subordinate to his commanding officers. You're not less of a human being because you're subordinating yourself to someone. But that 
is what the world we live in today is telling women. And of course it's going to tell women because Satan doesn't want to be subordinate to God. He wants to have a rival kingdom. Isaiah 14, 12 to 14, the five eye wills of Satan. So we got to keep, if you're a Christian and you're a Christian woman, uh, you need to keep that in mind, what's going on. So again, today I'm going to just give me, you know, teach this passage. Uh, but if you really want the exhaustive detail, download my written article on 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15. Or listen to the series, because I go into this subject in greater detail than I'm going to go into it today with regards to this prohibition uh, in, uh, in 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15. So let's look at, uh, I'll read from uh, the Net Bible, 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15, and then I will look at my translation and then we'll dig, dig into this uh, passage in 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 14. So it says in 1 Timothy 2, 11, again in the Net Bible, a woman must learn quietly with all submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. She must remain quiet. Now he gives his reasons for this. For Adam was formed first, there's the first one, and then Eve. That's the first reason why, for the prohibition, verse 12. Then here's the second one. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, because she was fully deceived, fell into transgression. But she will be delivered through childbearing if she continues in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Let me give you my translation of these exact same verses. A woman must discipline herself in making it her habit of receiving instruction silently with complete submission. However, I never at any time permit a woman to teach nor exercise authority over a man, but rather she herself is to be in a state of silence because Adam was formed first, then Eve. Also, Adam was by no means deceived. However, because the woman was thoroughly and completely deceived, she entered into transgression. However, she will be delivered by means of giving birth to a child that speaks of the birth of Christ if they continue in the state of exercising faith, resulting in divine love, as well as holiness, accompanied by self-control. In other words, she'll experience the deliverance that Christ, who was born of a woman, Mary, uh, provided for the human race uh, through his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session of the right hand of the Father. She'll experience that deliverance that the Son provided in his first advent if they operate in faith in what the Scriptures say and appropriate by faith their union and identification with Jesus Christ. So, uh, so uh, 1 Timothy 2, 11 through, uh, 1 Timothy 2, 11 says in the New American Standard, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. So when it says a woman must receive instruction, that refers to the Christian woman, uh, throughout Christian women throughout the church age, without reference to their marital status, receiving information about the Christian faith through instruction from their pastor teachers quietly and with complete submission. It means that Christian women are to acquire information regarding the think of, thinking of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, quietly and with total submissiveness and that they to receive instruction regarding the doctrines of Christ. Now, when it says quietly, immediately I can see, I can just tell with, uh, with some women who are not familiar with this stuff that, oh, immediately they're going to say, oh, so we can't talk in church or anything. You're going to tell me that? No, of course not. I'll show you some other passages where you, Obviously, women are, can, in fact, women can teach other uh, can children. They can teach other women, as we'll say. But uh, and uh, they would also be speaking when they had a prophecy in the early church. Uh, but uh, when it comes to men and pastors and their function of their gift, women are to be subordinate to him, and they manifest that by being quiet in the sense that they're not teaching. Let the the man who's got the gift of past teacher teach, and that's why it means to be quiet. You don't you don't teach, but he does. So. That's what we, he means here. So quietly denotes demonstrating total deference to the man with a spiritual gift to pass the teacher when he is communicating the word of God in a public setting in the church. So uh, this doesn't mean, again, that women are, you, you can't learn uh, you, you know, from talking to a woman about the, the spiritual life or about the Bible. But it, does, it doesn't mean that. Because men and women, talk, I've talked to women over the years, many women over the years in my ministries and, 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 and talking to them the Word of God. And uh, I've learned things from them too, obviously. And uh, so, but here's the thing, is like when it comes to the, the public formal worship setting where the Bible is being taught, the man who's got the gift of past teacher is to be speaking and not a woman speaking with men present in the local assembly. So that's very important. So what I'm saying here is quietly denotes 
demonstrating total deference to the man with the spiritual gift to pass the teacher when he is communicating the word of God in a public setting in the church. Now we must balance this by noting that 1 Corinthians 11.5 does permit women to speak to the church if they possess the gift of prophecy and when they take part in corporate prayer meetings. It says in, in 1 Timothy chapter 11, verse 5, but any woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered disgraces her head for it is one and the same thing as having shaved having a shaved head. And, uh, and so let's and go back to 1 Timothy 2.11. What he means by there is the hair, and back in that culture, in the first century, patriarchal culture in the first century, um, the uh, a woman wearing sh uh, long hair was a symbol of being under the authority of her husband. Now, that's not true in our culture today. Today, the equivalent would be not long hair, but it would be having a marriage ring, okay? Or not, you know, taking using your maiden name, you're like, you know, um, you know, Helen Gurley Brown, you know, it's like, it would be just Helen Brown or her husband's, you know, who she married, right? So, so that you're showing respect for your husband's authority. Uh, you're, you're, you're under his authority and the wedding band is, 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 is where you're under his authority. And in the ancient world, a woman's long hair was. To shave her head was a sign of rebellion against her husband or against the whole concept of, uh, of, uh, marriage and the authority of the husband over the wife. So, so it's, again, so if you go back to my notes here on the board, um, we see that quietly, again, denotes demonstrating total deference to the man with a spiritual gift to pass the teacher when he's communicating the word of God in a public worship setting. And we must balance this again by noting that in 1 Corinthians 11, 5, that passage, Paul permits, he does permit women to speak to the church if they possess the gift of prophecy, if they're prophesying, and when they take part in corporate prayer meetings. Also, and I touched upon this a few moments ago, Titus chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, does permit women to teach other women. Titus chapter 2, verse 2, older men would be temperate, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and endurance. Older women, likewise, are to exhibit behavior fitting for those who are holy, not slandering, not slaves to excessive drinking, but teaching what is good. Now look at it says, and this way they will train the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children. So, and to be self-controlled, pure, fulfilling their duties at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the message of God may not be discredited. So this is the responsibility of older Christian women. Back then, an older woman was be, would be someone, and an older man would be somebody who's over the age of 40. And so we see that the older women who had knowledge of the word of God and were more were mature, they were to teach the younger, more immature women, uh, those who were newly married or whatnot, to uh, how to love their husbands biblically and to love their children, train up their children to be self-controlled, like Paul says, pure, fulfilling their duties at home, being kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the message of God may not be discredited before the non-Christian community. So uh, go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, please. So, since in context, Paul's addressing the proper behavior or conduct of Christian women while functioning in a local assembly along with men, the correct interpretation is that Christian women, in 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 12, are not to speak the word of God in a public setting in the local assembly with men present in the audience. So Paul's command in 1 Timothy 2, 11 is specifically addressing the conduct of women in a public worship setting with respect to the exercise of the spiritual gift of past the teacher. Therefore, this passage teaches implicitly that women have not been given the spiritual gift of past the teacher. Other passages teach this, for example, 1 Timothy 3, 2, Paul teaches that an overseer must be the husband of one wife. So it says in 1 Timothy 3, 2, the overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able teacher. Notice he they must, the, the man with the, the overseer must be the husband of one wife. It doesn't say the wife must, must, she must be the wife of one husband. It doesn't say that. And also, I've heard this argument too, uh, but I, I'll, I'll put this other argument up there too. If women could be overseers and pastors, and so we know clearly, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, it speaks of men who are overseers. Well, since he's going through the whole rigor, he's going through this whole thing in 1 Timothy as to how, Paul wants the church to run in, in Ephesus and how pastors in their congregation, uh, the, the women, older women, younger women, how they're to function 
and with each other and the men and the men, older men, younger men, how they're to function and widows, how the treatment, proper treatment of widows, home, how the church, household of God is supposed to function. Why doesn't he, after he finishes or before he starts talking about the men who are overseers and what their qualifications are, why doesn't Paul in this letter mention women overseers and their quali- what they must be, what women must, qualifications they must meet in order for them to be overseers of a church? You don't see that. And so you might say, oh, that's an argument from silence. No, <laughs> if women were not considered as pastors or, or had spiritual authority or, or whatever, you would, uh, of course, not expect to see any kind of qualifications for women overseers, would you? So, for instance, it's an, isn't it interesting that Jesus cho- chose the apostles that were all men? Okay, doesn't mean that women are not created in the image of God or less than men. They're not. Don't buy the lie that being subordinate uh, to the man means you're less than a human being. That is the devil's lie that he's try- been trying to use the feminism movement to, 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 to shove it down your throat and to deceive you into thinking and basically deceive you into rebelling against Jesus Christ who's the one who created marriage and the woman and the whole and the church, everything. So we need to keep this in mind here. Now, we see that uh, uh, there are other passages. If, so if you notice in 1 Timothy 3, 2, so say my point here on the board, for, uh, in 1 Timothy 1, uh, 3, 2, Paul taught, as we just read, that an overseer must be the husband, quote unquote, of one wife. Now, if an overseer, again, could be a woman, then why does he not say that the overseer must be the wife of one husband? Well, for that matter, again, if women could be overseers and pastors, then why doesn't he list the qualifications that women must meet before they're considered to be ready to be an overseer of a church? Why does he put that those qualifications for the women who want to be overseers? Like he does the men. He doesn't. Why? Because no, they didn't have women overseers. So in fact, Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, 4, that the overseer must manage his, his, not hers, his own household if he is to be qualified to manage the household. 1 Timothy 3, 4, it says he, the overseer, must manage his own household well and keep his children in control without losing dignity. He does not say her household, notice. And here's another one in 2 Timothy 2, 2. Paul tells Timothy to entrust his apostolic teaching to faithful men, not women so that they can teach others. First Timothy 2, 2, and entrust what you heard me say in the presence of many others as witnesses to faithful people who will be competent to teach others as well. And uh, uh, right there we have uh, the, the Net Bible uses people. And uh, and he says referring to both, gener- uh, they, they look at it as generic, referring to both men and women. Now I would disagree with them there, okay? And a lot of times that word anthropos that they're, that they're translating uh, would uh, would uh, be uh, both uh, referring to both men and women. But uh, in this context, when he's talking about uh, training other pastors in context, uh, it should be translated men. In fact, the ESV, let's see what they have. They have, they probably, I know they have, uh, was it 2 Timothy, right? Look at 2 Timothy. Yeah, see, so they go, uh, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And uh, probably the NIV probably does what the Net Bible does because the Net Bible follows the, them a lot of times. Yeah, they say people. So uh, so what they do in there, the Net Bible and the NIV, the word anthropos, they translate people. And a lot of times it's speaking of human beings without reference to their gender. But since what Paul's talking about... Uh, the communication of the word of God and passing along Bible doctrine to others uh, and to train them. He's talking about other pastors to train in context. So I would disagree with the Net Bible respectfully on that one. So go. let's go back to my notes again. So we have back to the, right back here when it says in 1 Timothy 2.11, Paul says a woman must learn quietly with all submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. She must remain quiet. Now, that agrees with other things, as I said before. First uh, Timothy 3, 2, Paul teaches that an overseer must be the husband, quote-unquote, of one wife, not the wife of one husband. Again, if an overseer could be a woman, why, then why does he not say that the overseer must be the wife of one husband? Also, again, uh, that we see, in fact, that in First Timothy 3, 4, 
it says the overseer must manage his own household if he's to be qualified to manage the household of God. He doesn't say her household. The other thing, again, can't reiterate this enough. If women could be overseers and pastors, why doesn't he list the qualifications like he does the men that a woman must meet in order for her to, be, to assume the office of overseer and be a pastor of a church? It, 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 that's very, very significant. And uh, all that is evidence that uh, we're talking, and what we have in our passage today, in 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 14, that women uh, were not, uh, it was not orthodox teaching to have women as pastors. So let's look at 1 Timothy 2, 12 in the New American Standard. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. So when he says, but I do not allow a woman to teach, emphatically prohibits Christian women to teach or exercise authority over Christian men. Let me repeat that. When he says, but I do not allow a woman to teach, that emphatically prohibits Christian women to teach or exercise authority over Christian men. And when it says, or exercise authority over men, that serves to connect the two concepts. What, which, what are those two concepts? One, Christian women are prohibited from, prohibited from teaching the word of God. The second concept, Christian women are prohibited from exercising authority over a man. So this prohibition and 1 Timothy 2.12 prohibits Christian women from holding positions of authority in the church, which means that the Lord did not give women the gift of leadership, nor the gift of pastor, teacher, the gift of teaching. So when you teach the Bible, all right, in the church, you're exercising authority over the church. Paul doesn't want a woman up there teaching the word of God, exercise, and by doing so, she would be exercised, with men present, he doesn't want that to happen. By teaching by a woman teaching with men in the audience, she would be exercising authority over a man, which God prohibits. So this prohibition in 1 Timothy 2.12, as I said before, prohibits Christian women from holding positions of authority in the church, which means that the Lord did not give women the gift of leadership nor the gift of pastor teacher. But to remain quiet, that means, that speaks of refraining. She said, remain quiet, Paul says, that speaks of refraining from teaching the Word of God in the presence of men in the local assembly. Again, we must balance this by noting that in 1 Corinthians 11.5, that verse does permit women to speak to the church if they possess the gift of prophecy and have a prophecy to communicate to the church. And again, Titus chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 does permit mature Christian women, older Christian women, teaching the younger Christian women. So again, in context, Paul's addressing the proper behavior, conduct of Christian women while functioning in the local assembly along with men. And so the correct interpretation is that Christian women are not to speak the word of God in a public setting in the local assembly with men present in the audience. So therefore, 1 Timothy 2.12 does not have any reference to the woman's attitude when receiving the word of God, but rather her conduct and role with respect to the teaching of the word of God. So Paul is prohibiting the women in the Christian community from giving biblical instruction in the local assembly when men are present in the audience. See, if she was teaching with men in the audience, she'd be exercising authority over men, and that's what Paul is prohibiting. So this, again, the implication is, of course women can speak in church. It would be pretty lousy if the ladies couldn't talk. I mean, really. And uh, But, you know, there will be people that, and they'll be infected by the, the, the devil's world and feminism, they'll immediately say, make assertions that that's what Christians are teaching. You can't do anything. They're, they're tyrannical, these men. That's garbage. And, you know, they're just not being representing the Christian, the biblical position that, uh, that we teach. They're misrepresenting it. And that's what people will do, especially if they don't have any biblical support for their having women pastors, um, so they will demean guys like me, like that's happened to me. You know, I'm, 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 my teaching is demeaning to women. Like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm awful to women. My mother thinks I'm pretty nice, you know, and, uh, to, I'm pretty nice to women too. You know, I took care of my mother with his dementia for three years, you know, so don't tell me I have a problem with, uh, with, uh, with women, but people do that. You know, they'll say that about guys. And, uh, and, uh, I mean, I mean, one of my favorite people all the world was my grandmother. I, le I learned a lot from her. And uh, who, we, we only, you know, having a, I had a great mother, so I have, you know, to me, you know, I, I don't, I don't demean women or I have an ax to grind against women. And don't say because I'm a bachelor, because that's what they criticize, the people today criticize Paul. He was a crusty old bachelor and he had a thing against women. Well, I'm a bachelor and I'm not a crusty, but I love women. I mean, anybody, I, I, I care about, I love women. I have 
women friends in the in the past now and and I you know what's I love women I don't have any axe to grind against them or bitter toward them or anything it's just people just what they when they don't have any ammo biblically to support their position for a female pastor that's what they resort to name calling and you know it's kind of like today you know when people you know, when you say that you disagree with the homosexual, uh, the, the homosexual behavior, lifestyle, or lesbian lifestyle, uh, you're, they give you a, they give you a connotation. You're homophobic, and uh, you know, quite frankly, that's demonizing a person. You know, I'm not, I'm not homophobic. I, don't, I, I love, I, I love my neighbors myself, including the person who's a homosexual or they, they're a lesbian. You know, but that when when they resort to name calling like that and demonizing you by flipping terms like that on you. Uh, they're not really being honest and they're not being academically honest and they're certainly not being uh, a gentleman or a lady by doing that to you. You know, it's the, instead of resorting to name calling, can't we just, I disagree with you and, uh, and and that's the end of it. You know, I have a right to my view. You have a right to your view. Like you're listening to me now, you'll like, I, I disagree with you, Pastor Bill, on this. That, that's fine. You have a right to that. But again, at the end of the day, if I'm talking to you, if you're a Christian, at the end of the day, you're going to have to give an account to Jesus at the Bama seat. So I, I hope you're sure that you're, you're confident that you're in the right on this issue. Because I would, uh, if you have any little doubts at all, I would, uh, I would uh, revisit your view. And maybe the whole, you know, I'm sure the Holy Spirit is, if you're a Christian and you're indwelt, then you're indwelt by the Spirit, the Spirit is convicting you on this issue, what I'm teaching about right now. And guarantee it. So 1 Timothy 2, 13 through 14 is very important because this tells us that this prohibition where women are not to teach men in the public worship setting with men present, uh, that it's universal, not just a cultural thing in the first century, which a lot of people like to use as an argument against, against our particular view, our interpretation here. So let's look at, let's look at the whole thing in context. Again, in, in the Neff Bible, it says, a woman must learn quietly with all submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. She must remain quiet. And here's the reasons. Now, the two reasons, these are significant. This tells you that this is true throughout the church age. That never changes. It's not a cultural thing, as some say. For Adam was formed first, and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, because she was fully deceived and fell into, trans, into the transgression. So, uh, verse 13 and the uh, NEP, uh, NIV, NEP New American Standard says, for it was Adam who was first created, then Eve. So verse 13 presents the reason or the basis for the previous command in verse 11 and the prohibition in verse 12. So verse 13 cites the creation account of Adam and Eve, which is recorded in Genesis 2. And specifically, it's citing the formation of their physical bodies as indicated by the use of the verb yatsar in Genesis 2.7 and bana and Genesis 2.21, the latter is talking about the creation of their souls, Yatsa, the creation of the body. Chronologically, Genesis 1.26 teaches that the Lord created the soul life of Adam and Eve simultaneously, and both were creating the image of God, thus making them equals. However, Genesis 2 teaches that the biological life or the physical body of Adam was formed from the dust of the ground, and then Eve's biological life was constructed from the biological life of her husband. Look at it says in Genesis chapter 2. And let's go all the way over to verse 19. Actually, the verse uh, verse 18. The Lord said, the Lord God said, Genesis 2, 18, it's not good for the man to be alone. So he's alone. He was created first. His biological life was uh, cre uh, formed first. Uh, Genesis 1, 26 says, he created them both in, the in his image. God created them both, Adam, uh, the male and the female, in his image. But when it comes to their biological life, their bodies, the man's biological life was formed first. And so it's he's alone here. And uh, actually, let's look at, um, let's start it a little earlier. Yeah, look at, look at Genesis 2-7. The Lord God formed the man from the soil of the ground, that's his biological life, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So notice that he became a living being, which means when the breath of life was put into him. That means his body was there, but he became a living soul in a body when that took place. And so then now you can jump up to verse 16. Then the Lord God commanded the man 
Oh, actually, look at uh, verse seven, uh, 18 again. The Lord God said, it's not good for a man to be alone. I'll make him a companion for him who corresponds to him. And the Lord God formed out of the ground every living animal of the field and every bird of the air, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And when he does that, that's in the, in the ancient world, when in the biblical times, naming somebody, and it's still true today, when a parent names a child, that means the, the parent has authority over the child. And that's what Adam had authority over creation. That's why he's giving, he was allowed to give names to the animals. So he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, creature, that was its name. So the man named all the animals, the birds of the air, and the living and the creatures of the field. But for Adam, no companion who corresponded to him was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was asleep, he took part of the man's side and closed up the place with the flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the part he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And then the man said, this one is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And so notice that chronologically, she came after him. Okay. And you know, just a little levity there. You know, when, when it says, you know, called him the woman, um, you know, when he saw her for the first time, he said, whoa, man. <laughs> the kids used to get a, a kick of that in the prep school. All right. So therefore, Paul's teaching. And 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. Paul's teaching that the reason for the prohibition in verse 11 and the command in verse 12 is that the biological life of Adam was formed first from the dust of the ground and then Eve's biological life was constructed from Adam's biological life or physical body. Now, look at 1 Timothy 2, 14. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. This verse presents the second reason for Paul's command in verse 11 and his prohibition in verse 12. In this verse, verse 14, he's citing Genesis 3 now and alluding specifically to Genesis 3.16 as support for his command in verse 11 and a prohibition in verse 12. And 1 Timothy 2.13, remember, Paul does not cite Genesis 3.16 explicitly to support his command in verse 11 and prohibition in verse 12, but rather he alludes to Eve's being deceived which led to the Lord decreeing that Adam would rule over her. So this parallels his use of Genesis 2, and which he does not explicitly mention Genesis 2, 7 and 21, which when compared, revealed that Adam was formed first, and then Eve. He also does not explicitly mention Genesis 2, 18, which reveals that Eve was designed to be a helpmate for Adam. Paul simply presupposing, here in 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 14, that his readers, who were Christians, knew the events recorded in Genesis 2 and 3 and does not feel the need to mention these verses explicitly. In fact, in the, in the original languages, uh, the original documents, they didn't have chapter markings, chapter uh, divisions and verse markings in the original autographs. They came much, much later with the translations. So thus, in verse 13, Paul cites that Adam was formed first and then Eve, which presupposes that his readers know that this was because Eve was to be a helpmate for Adam, Genesis 2.18. And in 1 first, first Timothy 2.14, Paul teaches that Adam was not deceived, but that Eve was totally deceived and thus entered into transgressing the Lord's prohibition to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This presupposes that his readers know that this resulted in the Lord issuing the judgment that Adam would rule over her because she was deceived into disobeying his prohibition. So, in 1 Timothy 2, 13 and 14, Paul's using a common rabbinic method of referring to the Old Testament, a method known as summary citation. That is, he used the summary statement in 1 Timothy 2, 13 to point to the reader, to, the, uh, to point the reader, excuse me, to the entire pericope describing the creation of the man and the woman in Genesis 2, verses 4 through 24. And in 1 Timothy 2.14, he referred back to the entire pericope detailing the fall in Genesis chapter 3. Paul was not limiting his focus to two specific isolated thoughts. Rather, he was drawing on two complete narratives. So therefore, a comparison of Genesis 2.7.18 and 21 with 1 Timothy 2.13 indicates that Christian women are to learn the word of God silently with complete submission because the Lord's original creation design 
was that Eve would be a helpmate for Adam. It indicates that Christian women are prohibited from teaching men the word of God in a public worship service in the local assembly and exercising authority over them, but are to be in silence for the exact same reason. Also, people, a comparison to Genesis 3.16 with 1 Timothy 2.14 indicates that Paul issued the command in verse 11 and the prohibition in 1 Timothy 2.12 because Adam was not deceived by the devil in the Garden of Eden, but rather Eve was totally and completely deceived and entered into transgressing the Lord's prohibition to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So therefore, what we can see and summarize with this passage in 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 14, we can see that Paul issued the command in verse 11 and the prohibition in verse 12 for two reasons. One, the Lord designed the woman to be subordinate to the man as a helpmate. Doesn't mean she's less than a man. He's, she's creating the image of God like he is. What's the problem? What's the issue then? Functionality. As I said before, the Son and the Spirit subordinate themselves to the Father. The Spirit subordinates himself to the Son and the Spirit. They're still, all three members of the Trinity are deity. So it's for, that's how they function with each other. Each has a role. And the same thing God designed for marriage and also in churches with the authority of the pastor and men and women subordinating themselves to, uh, to the pastor. It's just God's way of doing things. Functionality. Not, it doesn't talk about her, her value or worth that she's not allowed to teach men or be, have authority over men. Paul gave you the reason. Adam was created first, then Eve, and then she was deceived in that. Adam. That's good. So those are two reasons. So that, I had that, I, I, a Christian woman I knew uh, years ago and uh, when I was my first church plant, we were talking about this passage and I said, and I presented the same thing to her about the two reasons. And uh, she said, I said, what do you think that means? And she, he said that it's not a cultural thing that it's not uh, related to some specific situation that Paul's dealing with with Timothy, what he wrote for his Timothy, but that this is to be true all throughout the church age, that women are not allowed to teach the Word of God while men are present in, in, the, in the local worship service. Women can't be pastors, in other words. And she came to that her own conclusion without me saying anything, or just showing that the passage and say, you know, give, looking at the reasons. So, thus, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 13 through 14, Paul's teaching that Christian women are to learn the word of God silently with complete submission and not teach men the word of God nor exercise authority over them in the public assembly, but be in silence because of creation and the fall. 1 Timothy 5.15 indicates that some Christian women in Ephesus were already following in the footsteps of Eve and were being deceived into following those who taught false doctrine in that city. Satan was a false was a false teacher and Eve fell victim to his false teaching. Paul does not want the Christian women in Ephesus to follow Eve's example and fall victim to the deception of those pastors in Ephesus teaching false doctrine. Thus, the reason for this command in 1 Timothy 2.12 and his prohibition in verse 13. We also need to understand something. The mystery cults, the mystery religions in the first century, women were very, very, very big as priests, priestesses. In the in the in the in the in the in the devil's world and the mystery mystery religions of the ancient world, there was women had a big significant role as being priestesses, priests acting as a priestess. We'd say not a priest, but they were involved in those cults and they could officiate in these meetings. And Paul, when the Christian meetings are not to be be like them, and so. Uh, that's uh, also another reason why Paul says what he says here. And, he, and so, um, so we, I want to give you a quote before we wrap up here and with some final thoughts. But uh, I got a quote from Juan Worsby. He's in his 90s now. He has the following quote. And I'm reading, I'm quoting from him now. Worsby writes, In these days of women's lib and other feminist movements, the word submission makes some people see red. Some well-meaning writers have even accused Paul of being a crusty old bachelor who was anti-women. Those of us who hold to the inspiration and authority of the Word of God know that Paul's teachings came from God and not from himself. Good point, right? And we have a problem with what the Bible says about women in the church. The issue is not with Paul, but with the Lord who gave the Word. Unfortunately, Worsby says, when the idea of women submitting to men comes up, 
women become defensive and revolt at such a notion because in many cases, they've been deceived and indoctrinated by the cosmic system of Satan. They've been deceived into thinking that to subordinate to men demonstrates inferiority, which is clearly not the case. The Bible does not teach that, but that Satan does since he, he, the Bible doesn't teach that he says, but Satan does since he, the devil is the author of rejection of authority because he rebelled against God in eternity past. You are not inferior as a woman because you submit to the authority of your husband or your pastor teacher. Sadly, in many cases, it is not deception that has caused many women to reject the idea of submission to a man, but rather it's the result of having suffered physical and verbal abuse from their husband or father at home. Let's stop there. That's very important. And may I say, if you're a pastor, when you're teaching these sort of things, you know, the woman submitting to her husband and uh, or submitting to the pastor teacher that women can't be pastors, you've got to be sensitive to this because there's some women who have been verbally and physically abused by men for years, whether it's from a father uh, or, or, or uh, ex-husband, boyfriend, it's there. So you have to be sensitive to that as a pastor when you teach these things, because if you start, you know, if you start, you know, you know, making, you know, uh, teaching and being dictatorial and, uh, you know, rubbing in their faces, women's faces, that they're going to turn you off. You got to be sensitive to the people and your, your audience where they've come from. You want them to learn the biblical way, but you're driving them away from, from the way God wants things done by your being insensitive to where they might have come from. So that's the thing God's taught me over uh, over the last for years ago. Uh, that that uh, and I and I when I first got going, you know, I, I realized you know, oh, there are some people, women here, who I understand why they would have a problem with authority of a man over her for good reason. You know, if I was them, I'd feel the same way. So you have to be empathetic. You have to be sensitive and, and not insensitive to the women in your audience because not everybody came from a nice home where the dad was nice and loving and caring and uh, or, or the husband and they were abused by their husbands or their fathers. So you have to keep that in mind. And this goes not just for pastors, but also other Christians who are trying to communicate this subject to, to women in the church or outside the church. Then Warsby goes on to say, the son and the spirit subordinate themselves to the father. Though both are equal to the father, Adam and Eve, he says, were both created in the image of God and are equal. However, their roles are quite different and that Adam was formed first and Eve was formed after him, as the text says, for the express purpose of being a corresponding helpmate. She was equal to him, but was to be subordinate to him in their relationship with each other. This design, divine design is referred to by Paul in verse 13 when giving his reasons for his instructions in verse 11. Let me interject something here. Not when you when you, when you play sports, okay? Can everybody does everybody have to be the, the the you know the quarterback is the leader, right? You know he's calling the plays. Can everybody be the quarterback? You got linemen who have to block for the for the guy, and they take the they take the call the you know they take the call from him. And he the quarterback barks out instructions and to the receivers, the running backs, or the in the huddle and uh, or the or the linemen. And uh, so you need, not everybody can be the quarterback. Every, not everybody can be the coach, okay? Everybody has to have their role. And if a team doesn't know that, they're not going to win anything. So it, any great, it, just in the sports realm, or it, it, even in, 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 and also in the natural with, 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 with uh, corporations and business and, and, uh, and different, uh, uh, in the government, organizations that run well, there's an authority structure. Okay, and those that don't run well don't have any authority structure. So Wiersbe goes on to say, he says, with respect to First Timothy two, eleven through fifteen, the major question that is asked is whether or not Paul's teaching is limited in its application, or is it something that is universal in its application? I've addressed this. Was Paul, he says, addressing a specific historical situation in the church at Ephesus, or was he teaching something that was to be obeyed throughout history by the church? Was Paul teaching that only the women in Ephesus in the first century could not teach and exercise authority over the men in the church? Or was he teaching something that was always to be the case throughout history? The reasons that Paul presents in verses 12 through 14 for prohibiting women from possessing authority over men and teaching are taken from Genesis 1, chapters 1 through 3 and support a universal application, as I mentioned before. I said this is not a cultural thing Paul's that we have in 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15, 
It's something that's uh, to be all the time, universal, like uh, Worsby says. And then Worsby closes with this. Genesis 1, chapters 1 through 3 teaches that Adam was formed first and then Eve, and Eve was deceived, not Adam. Thus, Paul is teaching that the role of women in the church and their relationship to men in the church is based upon God's plan for creation and Eve being deceived rather than Adam. And many reject Paul's use of Genesis as his support for instructions in Genesis 2.11. Well, so there we have uh, Wearsby. Great quote from him. And uh, so we see, if we can wrap this up, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, if you look at, uh, let's look at it in the Net Bible again, or actually look at it in my translation. A woman must discipline herself in making it a, her habit of receiving instruction silently with complete submission. 1 Timothy 2.11, my translation. However, is the prohibition. I never at any time permit a woman to teach her exercise authority over a man, but rather she herself is to be in a state of silence, meaning she's not to teach the word of God while men are present in the audience. She can teach other women, she can teach children, but she cannot teach other men. Then here's the reasons why she can't do it, which, which supports this being a universal prohibition and command in verses, two, verses 11 and 12 and not just something that Paul was dealing with that was part of the culture in the first century when he wrote this. Here's the reason why they're to obey the commands in, in the command in verse um, 11 and the prohibition in verse 12. Because Adam was formed first, Genesis 2, then Eve. Also, quoting Genesis 3, summary, uh, summary note, citation as we pointed out. Also, Adam was by no means deceived. However, because the woman was thoroughly and completely deceived, she entered into transgression. So for those two reasons, that's why women cannot teach the Word of God in the local public worship setting in a church with men present. And uh, also, this is supported by 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-7, through 7, as we pointed out, uh, it, which uh, talks about the qualifications that a man must meet in order to be overseer of a church doesn't mention women at all. In fact, it's, it, you know, he must be able to manage his own household and he must be the husband of one wife. doesn't say the wife of one husband. And again, if, she could, if women could be overseers and pastors, where are the qualifications for those women if they want to be an overseer? Where, like he does for the, like Paul has for the men. And so that's, again, supporting what my interpretation, the, the, what I just ta- taught you here this, uh, this morning. And, uh, so that's going to wrap up our study of the doctrine past the teacher. And as I said before, I could have I could have been like about a couple of weeks on this particular subject, but uh, I'm choosing not to because I've already covered it in great detail uh, in um, in my series on First Timothy. So if you'd like to see a study of these verses, go to the video and audio on our website at winston.org. The written articles very extensive. Um, on this subject, and I, I only, I only have hundreds of pages of, uh, hundreds of pages written on this particular passage. I've only given you five pages of notes and extemporaneously about 40 minutes of stuff that the, the Spirit led me to teach and the quote here I had at the end from Wearsby. So we wrap up this study of the doctrine past the teacher. I, I just hope, I pray that I'll be praying that it, it's going to be a blessing to the church and the pastors and and congregations, and it would uh, be a great blessing. We covered a lot of things uh, about this particular subject, and uh, I just pray it's going to be a, a great blessing to the church. And now we're going to move on to Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, which is going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to teaching it. I'm having a lot of fun studying it. In fact, after I have the uh, close, make the closing prayer here, and then upload these these uh, recordings to our various websites and podcasts. And media platforms, I'll be working on Ephesians 1.16. <laughs> All right, let's close in prayer. Thank you for joining me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We pray that this lesson and this series would be a great blessing to the body of Christ, bringing glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ. So it is in his name we pray. Amen.